Good morning, everyone. So today we are me and Melanie for the podcast. <laughs> so we continue with the seven habits of highly effective people. And we realized yesterday that I think we will finish this book this week, maybe next week. <laughs> so if you haven't heard what we will cover in the next book, it will be the uh, emotional intelligence. So if you want to... Um, follow us with the book make sure to order it now because i think next week we will um, uh, um, start this new book so make sure that you already already have your book on emotional intelligence so you can follow us in the book and on the podcast so you will make sure that yes when we read it that's the first thing that you can do to learn but when you heard it that's a second way to learn and when you will talk about it with someone else now you can really master what you learn so make sure to have everything so you can really master what you learn on the podcast every morning so before we start with the subject of today this it, it's the upward spiral we will cover this morning but before that i want to make sure that everyone share the podcast this morning so if you are on podbean of course it gives you heart and every time you have the heart it gives you a chance in the draw for the conditioning program at the end of the month and on facebook when you share it always helps us to uh, achieve and reach more people organically and we want to build a thousand millionaire and it's with it's with your help that we can achieve that with uh, our community community that always uh, grow a week after week after week of people that always level up so thank you for sharing this morning and i will let melanie start with the subject of the upward spiral Inside of the brain, what? but anyway, Melanie, you're not on Say about the upward spiral, and uh, Melanie, yeah, you're not on Podbean. If you can just click on the invite, I think it's it closed. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes. So, um, so as I was saying, we, uh, we today we're talking about the upward spiral and, uh, I'm always, uh, trepidatious to, uh, to do a podcast when it's just me and Mary Pierre, because we don't have Maria's emotional, uh, input. So we'll do the best we can. Um, I love the visual of an upward spiral. 
um, because whenever you think of an upward spiral, you act, you can't help but think of moving up. And it's completely opposite to when people say you're in a downward spiral, right? And then when people say you're in a downward spiral, you're like imagining I'm going down and down and when am I ever going to reach the bottom? So an upward spiral for me is a great visual. And uh, we have talked in the last little while about the renewal of the four dimensions. And the thing is, there's another human endowment which we really need to improve to make our journey on the upward spiral even better. And that one human endowment is conscience. And it's a delicate um, thing. It is uh, in danger of being stifled at times. But when it is strong, it is magnificent. It is as important to practice how to improve our conscience as it is to practice everything else. And later, Marie-Pierre is going to give you some how to improve your conscience um, practice. Um, if your conscience is strong, your integrity is unwavering. You cannot preach, for example, about being uh, of pure spirit, mind and body, and then in private, you're looking at pornographic magazines, right? Just as you can't uh, be mad at people and society because everybody is always stealing and la la la, and yet you're taking stationery and paper clips and pens from your work. This doesn't match your conscience is, is not, uh, working properly. Uh, there is a misfit. So when you have a conscience, there is uh, no question that you would do the right thing. It is what keeps us on the straight and narrow. We will always reap what we sow. So what I wanted to do was to give you a couple of little stories. Uh, two of them are just like personal um, sort of messages, I suppose. But then I have a story where, where somebody uh, from the uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, um, where um, the lady's conscience saved them, right? So um, do you remember when you were kids and you went out with a group of friends and it became, I dare you, I dare you to do this, I dare you to do that, right? And, you know, our conscience is something that uh, kept us from doing really, really bad things. But I do remember one occasion where I was with a group of friends. And, you know, when you're young, you, you want to belong, you want to be part of the gang or whatever. And um, down the bottom of my street, there was a really old-fashioned sweet shop. And in this sweet shop or lolly shop, or I'm not sure in Canada what you call them, like little, anyway. And, and in this place, there was a, a, a shop that had um, like open baskets of lollies, if you like. Um, you know, little flapjacks and chews and jelly beans and all sorts of things. And, um, you know, we would go into this and you could get four for a penny. So it was like, you know, a fun place to go. But it was always a dare 
from your friends to take one, like take one while the shopkeeper's not listening, uh, not looking. And uh, so I, I naturally, I got dared to do that one day and I did it, right? Because I wanted to impress my friends. But I felt so bad that I went home and I said, mom, I can't believe it. I just took a sweet from the store, you know? And I mean, she, she obviously said, uh, you know, that wasn't a good thing to do or stuff. But I guess even at an early age, we have a conscience. You know, our parents teach us what is right and what is wrong. And um, I, I, I was also thinking of at Tupperware or at our MLM business, um, we are faced with conscience decisions all the time. We've all had the person that's come to us and said, oh, I don't like my team. I don't like the director. She doesn't give me any help. You know, can I join your team? And, you know, the, the thing about that situation, and, you know, it doesn't just happen to directors, it happens to everybody. But the moment you entertain the idea that there's even a possibility that you could actually allow that person to join your team, um, you're, you're squashing your conscience because your conscience will tell you that in order for our integrity in our business to survive, we can't even entertain the ideas. We can't be coming up with solutions to cheat the system because our conscience is what keeps us and, and, and guides us by telling people, actually, this is not how we uh, behave. We, when we sign up in a team and we stay in that team. And if the team is not something that is satisfying to you, well, then maybe in the future, when you um, have, ha are not part of Tupperware, you may want to start something else. But we can't have people switching from one team to another because what we're doing is we're saying, well, it doesn't really matter. We have no integrity. We can just do what we like to whatever suits us. And for me, that is where my conscience will kick in every time and say, no, Melanie, this is not right. This is not something that as a leader, I can be um, offering to people. Um, and it's something that comes up with us very, very often. So what I want to do now is I want to read you a story from the seven habits of highly effective families. And I think you'll see how the conscience worked for this lady. My husband didn't earn much money, but we were finally able to buy a small house. We were thrilled to have a home of our own, even though the payments were such that we would just barely stay financially solvent. After living in the home for a month, we became convinced that our front room looked shabby because of the threadbare couch that my husband's mother had given us. We decided that although we couldn't afford it, we had to have a new couch. We drove to a nearby furniture store and looked at the couches. 
we saw a beautiful early American couch that was just what we wanted. But we were astonished at the high price. Even the least expensive couch was twice the price we thought it would be. The salesman asked us about our house. We told him with some degree of pride how much we loved it. Then he said, how would that early American couch look in your front room? We told him it would look good. He suggested that it be delivered the following Wednesday. When we asked him how we could get it without any money, he assured us that would be no problem because they could defer the payments for two months. My husband said, okay, we'll take it. I told the salesman that we needed more time to think. My husband replied, what is there to think about? We need it now and we can pay for it later. But I told the salesman that we would look around and then maybe come back. I could tell my husband was upset as I took hold of his hand and began to walk away. I decided to let him tell me how he felt and to listen so that I could understand his feelings. We walked to a little park and sat on a bench. He was still upset and hadn't said a word since we left the store. Finally, he told me he felt embarrassed any time anyone came to our home and saw that old couch. He told me that he worked hard and couldn't see why we made so little money. He didn't think it was fair that his brother and others got paid so much more than he did. He said that sometimes he felt he was a failure. A new couch would be a sign that he was okay. His words sank into my heart. He almost convinced me that we should go back and get the couch. But then I asked him if he would listen while I told him my feelings. I told him how proud I was of him and that to me he was the world's greatest success. I told him how I could barely sleep at night sometimes because I was worried that we didn't have enough money to pay our bills. I told him that if we bought that couch, in two months we'd have to pay for it and we wouldn't be able to do it. He said that he knew what, that what I was saying was true, but he still felt bad that he could not live as well as those around him. Somehow we got talking about how we could make our front room more attractive without spending a lot of money. I mentioned that the local thrift store might have a couch that we could afford. He laughed and said, they could have an early American couch there that's far more early American than the one we just seen. I reached out and took his hand and we sat there for a long moment, just looking into each other's eyes. Finally, we decided to go over to the thrift store. We found a couch there that was mostly wood. The cushions were all detachable. They were terribly worn, but I didn't think it would be too much trouble to recover them in some fabric that would match the colors of the room. We bought the couch for $13.50 and headed home. The next week, I enrolled in a furniture upholstery class. My husband refinished the wooden parts. Three weeks later, we had a lovely American, early American couch. As time went by, we'd sit on those golden cushions and hold hands and smile. That couch was the symbol 
of our financial recovery. And so what I love about that story is that it was her conscience that stopped them over committing. It was her conscience that said, we really can't afford this. And if we do try to get it, we're going to be really, really in difficulties. And, you know, sometimes we are so um, overwhelmed by what society expects of us, by what we think we should be doing. And same, you know, same thing with, you know, buying a house that is beyond your means. Your conscience tells you this is not right. You have to do something about it. And we rely on it to really keep us on the straight and narrow. So to help you with how you can do that, I'm going to pass over to uh, my young friend, Marie-Pierre. Thank you, Melanie. So yes, I have nine <laughs> ways to how to educate your conscience. So it will be really <laughs> helpful because it's something one, two, three, four, and <laughs> you know what to do. And of course, this document will be on the group, inspirational group, so if you are not on that group yet, make sure to join the group. So you will have all those documents that we use for the podcast. So you can print it if you love to have all those things printed and you can take notes or just keep it in your computer to just say, oh, I have something on that subject and you can go back and reread what you need uh, at that moment. So let's go with the first one, how to educate your conscience. So number one is use reason as your conscience if you don't feel an immediate gut reaction. So you can get a quick bearing if something is right or wrong by asking, how would that make me feel? So treating others as you, as you would like to be treated is the golden rule of humanity. So applying this rule trigger your conscience to consider if you could be more helpful, listen to others and treat people with more respect. Number two is think about the value and behavior of people you do and don't respect. So focus on how they treat others and if their words, what they say and action, what they do match up to one another. So this will sharpen up your knowledge of right and wrong and provide positive and negative role model to learn from. So some positive role model might be people who always keep their words, go out of their way to help, stand up for what is right or are patient and kind. Some negative role model might be people who lie, are unkind to others, or feel no remorse or concern when they hurt or upset others. Number three, educate yourself by reading about people who live conscience-guided lives. So you can learn from famous examples such as Gandhi and also from daily news story of ordinary people living in line with their conscience. For example, Gandhi famously called his conscience his little voice within. It enabled him to oppose injustice and in, in the face of huge difficulty. Number four, it's create your own little sanctuary. Is your home a place of refuge or just a nagging Reminder that carpet do indeed require regular vacuuming. 
<laughs> Here are a few things you can do to make it a place you want to come home to and create your own little sanctuary. So first, splurge on fresh flower once in a while. So they brighten your home and can smell wonderful. Even a bunch of daisies in a glass can create a sense of serenity. You can turn on some beautiful music. It can change your mood and help you help you win down, relax and regroup. Have a clean up bin. So pick up the clutter and put it in a short a sort through later bin. So a clean room can make you make your surrounding more peaceful. Try some aromatherapy. So it's not hard to get your hands on scented candle oils or spray. A wonderful smell can be truly soothing. And the last one is reap the benefit of life plants. So plants can help hydrate your skin, lower your blood pressure, and reduce dust and indoor chemical pollutant. So they look nice too. <laughs> so that's for creating your own little sanctuary. Number five is unlock your conscience by practicing empathy. So the ability to truly see things from different point of view is essential. This means really listening to what people say and trying to understand them before jumping to decide what is right or wrong. So applying the golden rule is a good rule of thumb. So in any situation, you can quickly ask yourself, how would I feel if I were in their situation right now? Number six is challenge how you think about the world. Because yes, it is easy to stay in the same safe routine and think you know what is right and wrong, but you miss the opportunity to learn from other possibilities. So be curious about other people, get to know people you would normally not stop and talk to, ask questions about their lives. Speaking to people from different cultures can bring surprising changes in your own belief about life. And that brings us to number seven, is travel and experience other culture. So trying places or activities outside your comfort zone will challenge and sharpen your idea. Different does not mean wrong, it just means different. So visiting different countries expose you to all new ways of thinking and it will help you to empathize with different people in different situations. Number eight, it's practice techniques that put you put your conscience into action. So at first you will have to think about it, but in time this will turn into habit. You could decide to do a random act of kindness each day, such as paying for the coffee of the person behind you. You could decide to each day you will stop and tell someone how much you appreciate something they do. And number nine, it's set specific goal for using your conscience in daily activity. You might decide to make effort to really listen to others with full attention when they ask for it instead of, uh, of waiting your, for your turn to talk or multitasking. So use reminders to keep you on track, such as the simple uh, right thought, right words, and right action. And of course, you uh, you can make your little notes maybe on your computer, on your agenda to just remember to live with the golden rule. Make sure to ask yourself, is this something that I want? If 
I want to be treated that way. Now I can treat others that way too. So that will really help you. So I hope with this nine step, you can really understand how to educate your conscience and understand this upward spiral to yes, commit to educate your conscience, learn about it and now do it every day. So you can uh, use this upward spiral to help you uh, have this renewal in your life. Thank you very much, uh, Marie-Pierre. I'm curious to know uh, from our listeners out there, now that they've uh, heard a list of things that they can do to uh, help improve their conscience, which things they would uh, certainly do. I mean, I I have to say, I love number four, create your own sanctuary, right? And uh, I'm, uh, I'm in the process of doing that. Like, can see around me like I have lots of books and I, my, my, my office is not a sanctuary it's a mess at the moment and I have to tiptoe in to get to my desk where there's always just like a little hole that I can put down but in my uh, new renovations that are coming that's all going to change and I can't wait to have a sanctuary Um, and uh, of course I'm going to make sure I have flowers and all sorts. Anyway, so as you uh, develop an upward spiral, um, you have to show diligence in the process of renewal by by, uh, educating and, and obeying our conscience. The more we do that, the, the stronger the upward spiral journey will be. Um, in increasing our educated conscience, we propel towards the path of personal freedom, security, and wisdom. And the reason that people's consciences don't um, kick in sometimes is because they don't have that security of self. They, they doubt their own ability for things and are often misled by other people. So um, when we are moving along the path, it means that we have to learn, commit, and do. And what I love about the end of this chapter is that um, Stephen Covey says, there's only three things that you have to do. Learn, commit, and do. Oh, did you get that? Learn, commit, and do. And so I hope that um, I've so enjoyed reading this book. uh, And, you know, I know we've still got a little bit more to do. But if you can take those three words with you, learn, commit, and do, you will be on the right path to start living the seven habits of highly effective people. So I think that's a wrap today, uh, Marie-Pierre. So thank you, everybody, for joining us this morning, and uh, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow.